Good morning. Well, my name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so delighted to be able to welcome you to worship here this morning, either in person or on Zoom. It's lovely to see some old and new friends here as well. Thank you for coming. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that um, Amy spoke a little bit about Jesus being on the beach grilling some fish and inviting his disciples to come alongside him with their fish. And this way that Jesus invites us into his kingdom is just phenomenally beautiful. And to be honest, throughout the Bible, there are many references to fish. You might, they might pop up in your kind of idea. Now, you might remember a few parables with some fish in them, or you might remember Jesus calling um, Simon Peter and Andrew and saying, come and be fishers of men. But really, fish, yeah, you know, they don't really feature so heavily in Scripture in a way that's particularly appealing. Um, though they are easier to draw. And from about um, AD 150, Clement of Alexandria reports how a fish became the symbol that you know, Christians who were being persecuted would secretly use with each other. And one of them would draw half of a fish in the sand, and the other one would come and finish the drawing, not too complicated, um, and they'd recognize each other as Christians. And the word ichthus was an acronym which became attached to the faith as it could stand in the Greek for I'm not going to even try the Greek, but Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So people identified using fish. And now, of course, you see it on the back of cars, you see it on necklaces, you see it on little tattoos. Fish have become quite a common, in fact, the second most common, probably, symbol of Christianity. But fish have their limitations. But sheep, on the other hand, Sheep come all the way through scripture. I don't know why we don't draw sheep. I think we ought to draw sheep as our symbol for being Christians. I think that would be kind of fun. But if you think about the way that the kind of metaphor or motif of sheep is used right from the beginning when God first calls Abraham and, um, and Jacob talks about God has been a shepherd all of his life to this day, and it fits because after all, they were all sheep herders. They had sheep. They had flocks of sheep. It was the way they lived their life. It was deeply embedded into who they are. They totally understood this concept of being looked after by a shepherd. They totally knew what all the kind of ramifications of being a sheep was. And so it's a kind of natural motif for God to use for his, uh, the way that he wanted to relate to his people. And so the scripture starts off quite often with thinking about God as a shepherd. And then it also introduces this idea of what are we going to do about sin? And so God institutes sheep sacrifice. And that's like the less pleasant bit about being a sheep. But we don't tend to be identified with that sheep in particular. But Jesus chose to be. And so then we have Jesus coming as the ultimate lamb, the lamb who was slain so that we could have our sins covered over. And then right at the end of the Bible, John brings together those two striking images of Scripture by saying, for the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. The lamb makes the transition from lamb to sacrificed lamb to shepherd. And he shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eye. So Jesus has identified both as lamb, as sacrificial lamb, and then as good shepherd. He steps into the narrative with full expectation and knowledge that that is going to be his role so that we can be forgiven sin-free people. 
I love the fact that he identifies, therefore, both as man and as God. And as our gospel reading tells today, Jesus used, talked about his, this a lot. He talked about, my sheep shall know my voice, and I won't ever let them go. Being a shepherd was a very important thing for Jesus. And so it's good for us to recall from time to time what it means to be one of Jesus' sheep. Now, probably, whether or not you grew up in the church, one of the first kind of parables that you heard or became used to was the one about the lost sheep. This whole idea of there's a shepherd and he goes out and he takes out 100 sheep, but hey-ho, he comes home in the evening, counts them all in, and there are only 99. And even now, you could probably recognize in your head some of the pictures from the storybook that you heard that story told from. If you ask Simon, I'm sure he could recite the version that we had for our kids. Is he in the hen house? No! Um, and, and so on. So there's, there's lots and lots of images that come to mind. And I've been thinking about that a particular parable a lot because, of course, Jesus goes out and finds number 100 and brings it in. But really my image for that sheep that was lost has always been like cute, cuddly lamb, you know, the, valuable perhaps as well, but, but something rather attractive and lovely. And, and maybe even mommy sheep, Jesus would bother to go and fetch and find and bring back. But as I was facing this transition a while back, I was thinking, but what about the old sinewy lamb? Or the sheep, rather, you know, which tastes more like mutton and just is rather forgetful and has drifted off to the edge of the cliff. And, you know, would the shepherd bother? I mean, they might just go, oh, my goodness, all she did was eat. Let her go. And so I was rather tearfully sharing this perspective on the parable with the staff one, Sunday one Tuesday morning. And Josie very kindly said to me, it's okay if you're a lost sheep. There are lots and lots of sheepfolds. And this is a very reassuring scripture to be brought back to. In John 10, uh, Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The idea that we can belong to a sheepfold, but then perhaps there are times when instead of being lost and replaced into the same sheepfold, you might even be put in a different one. And so it turns out that according to Josie, if I leave this particular sheepfold, Jesus still has an intention of finding me, which I'm very grateful for. And so he confirms and reminds us in our gospel reading today that we cannot be snatched away. We cannot be lost. Jesus calls us to be his sheep. He calls us to be in his flock. He calls us to be in his pasture. And he promises, promises to look after us. Now, what I'm saying to you today is nothing new. It's things which I have said to you repeatedly over the last five years. And I'm just going to remind you of them again. The first one is don't panic if you think you are lost and you feel like no one is looking for you. Because Jesus does know exactly where you are. And he has no intention of you being snatched from his hand. Every single day, he will be with you even as you perhaps evade his drawing you to safety. He won't give up. Perhaps today as you're sitting in here, you don't particularly feel like you belong here in this flock, but every sheep has a flock to belong to. And it's always best when you are part of a flock. Tucked up safely at night, if you like, in the sheepfold. Don't be a lone sheep. Lone sheep are rather straightforward targets for wolves. 
And wherever Jesus takes you, whichever flock he tends, is going to put you into, make a decision to get to know and love the other sheep in that flock, even if they seem a little different, which of course they are, because you are unique. What about the different sheep in that sheepfold? Well, Simon and I are now going to go and find ourselves a, a different little flock, which we're going to belong to. And we're hoping that the sheep in that flock will be friendly. We're hoping that they will shift over and make some space at the trough for us. And maybe we will disagree with some points of theology with them. Perhaps there will be some things that we're not quite sure that we agree with, that they say and do. But one of the kind of guiding rules that we have had throughout our life is that we have always looked for a church where Jesus is worshipped. We've looked for a church which is creedal in their orthodoxy. And to be honest, we have belonged to a lot of very different churches in our time, someone which is local, which has been in our neighborhood. The step into being Anglican was a little different for us, but we did it, and it's been fantastic. But so I ask you to remember that wherever, whichever sheepfold you belong to, make sure you hold really tight to the fundamentals, that you cling to the creeds, but you remember to sort your theology and practice into sectors categories, the essentials and the secondary. Because as we heard from Revelation earlier, and I mean, I was so grateful for the lectionary today, you know, we don't pick these readings, and then they pop up, and they all fit together, and you kind of go, whoa, this is fantastic. Because after this I looked, says John, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb robed in white, palm branches, shouting, singing, crying out, hallelujah. It's glorious, glorious image. So as I think of the various flocks that we've been a part of and the various flocks that I hope we will be a part of in the future, I just remember that we're all going to stand together before the throne one day and be asked, were you faithful to your understanding of Scripture? Were you consistent? Did you work hard to understand Did you read broadly and widely? Did you think deeply about questions that mattered? Did you struggle to understand for yourself, not simply taking on board some things which you might have been told? Did you make sure that you agreed that it was consistent with your reading of Scripture? Because everyone everyone is acting out of what they believe to be reasonable or true. So assume the best and ask questions. Stay curious. Never settle and feel like you've made it. Because flocks of sheep can get awfully hung up on secondary matters, and that is not to say that they don't matter, they do. But not so much that you can't sit down and talk about them. If incarnation is going to succeed in its vision and mission, then you must also expect that some of the sheep who drift in here are a little quirky. They might look and sound and feel out of place, and your responsibility is to shift, to make space, to welcome, to encourage, to bring in, to take time to be curious about where they're coming from as well as where you are. They might look like goats or llamas or snakes. They might look like an in-disguise wolf, but they might not be. They are going to be people who are searching Because it's so hard to step from out there into here. That takes such a lot of energy to go from walking past down the sidewalk 
to getting into a space where people sit in rows in a gym. That's hard to make space. We have always felt that incarnation is a place where we want to welcome people who say that they'll never step foot in a church again. We want to welcome people who have been abused by their previous pastors. We want to welcome people who say that church is boring and that they have been rejected or hated or have been despised. Those are the people that we need to continue to make space to welcome into our community and then to give them time, to give them time to heal, to give them time to listen, to give them time to struggle with scripture and this concept of being a sheep, a sheep who is actually loved. A sheep is not going to be left out just because they're old and sinewy and have pink hair. A, a sheep that's going to be loved deeply. And we have become aware that the biggest danger we see in the established church is the tendency to become comfortable and to think that people are other. Nobody is too other for incarnation. Please know that your task is to welcome in and say, you're not other, you're one of us. This is a space where we will all shout hallelujah with all the other sheep one day. And so we need to be ready to do that. So even as Simon and I head out, I'm excited. I'm so excited about the people who are going to, I hope, drift in. Maybe your co-worker who hates Christians, bring them. Maybe your boss who's so rude, bring them. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor who can't stand the sound of church bells. Bring them. It's going to be fantastic, and it's going to be hard and complicated and lovely. And then pray for Simon and me that we will find a little flock somewhere. I keep on wanting, not teetering between flock and herd. I'm pretty sure it's a flock of sheep. A flock somewhere which will welcome us in and say, come and be with us. Our Old Testament reading today was from Numbers. And it kind of surprised me. I'd forgotten to read it until yesterday. Um, I'd sort of read the bits I wanted to from the lectionary, and then I thought, oh, I better just check what the Old Testament says. And then it was like, oh, my goodness, it's all about commissioning Joshua as Moses' successor. Why didn't I preach about that? Because God loves a good succession plan. And he has had his eye on Amy to step into this role as rector, probably from before her conception, who knows. But um, so... Later today, or maybe tomorrow, the bishop will phone Amy, and he will pray for her over the phone, and he will um, give her, I can't think of the right word, give her authority over you as spiritual authority as the new rector. And that's going to be a significant moment, but then she will be installed later on, so you can call her rector from like now. I step, I, I'm going to be stepping away in about five minutes. Um, but that's exciting. God loves succession plans. He loves making sure that the next chapter is one that's going to start well. And to be honest, I mean, we're making a bit of a big deal about this, but it's really not that big a deal because Amy has been right there shepherding from the moment we first ever thought about incarnation. We have done this together, and really, it's just the old one just shuffling off um, into, the, into, the, into the brambles. But we're all going to... <laughs> love God together, and I'm so excited for the ways that incarnation will step into this next chapter. Because ultimately, one of these days, hopefully quite a long, lot of them further on, we will all stand together before the throne, and I'll recognize you, and you'll recognize me, and we'll say, woohoo, let's, let's worship God together, because he is the best head shepherd, and we are his people, his sheep of his pasture. 
I'm going to ask you now to stand up. And we're going to finish this sermon by saying together Psalm 100, because it's such a glorious psalm, and it really sums up everything that I have just said. So let's together say, Oh, be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with a song. Be assured that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Oh, go your way into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and speak good of his name. For the Lord is gracious, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures from generation to generation. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs>